This is Mike Dilk of Relax Back UK. This is UK Health Radio and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on the Relax Back UK show. This week I speak with dietitian Sophie Midlin. Medlin. The topic is the menopause and things you, you should be aware of during this time. One of which is making sure you get plenty of calcium in the diet is really important because osteoporosis postmenopausally is much, much more common. Breast cancer can be more likely after the menopause. And I also speak with Dr. Mark Verrill, head of the Department of Medical Oncology at the Northern Centre for Cancer Care at the Freeman Hospital about a combination of drug therapies to treat breast cancer that's just been approved nice when we add in the cdk46 inhibitor to the standard um estrogen type treatments we are controlling disease for almost twice as long on average as we would if we were giving the anti-estrogen drug on its own so please do stay tuned for the relax back uk show Daddy. We had a very interesting chat with Sophie Medlin. She's a consultant dietitian. We spoke about the menopause and different topics associated with that. But first of all, she introduced herself and she also explained the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. Hi, Mike. So my name's Sophie Medlin. I'm a dietitian. I've been a dietitian for a long time. Um, I spent the first part of my career working in the NHS um, and then I progressed to working in academia and research. Um, And now I'm a consultant dietitian and I work for myself. I run a company called citydietitians.co.uk where I look after all kinds of interesting patients uh, and do all sorts of interesting things like this. Okay. Before we get on to today's topic, can I ask you a general question about being a dietitian? Is that like a, a registered qualification? Because can you tell me how it compares with being a nutritionist? Yeah, absolutely. So crucially, nutritionists and dietitians both study the science of nutrition, but then dietitians go on to do hospital placements like a doctor or a nurse or a physiotherapist and we then go on to be able to work in NHS hospitals so if you have a medical condition so that's dietitians that's dietitians yeah Yeah. so if you have a medical condition that you would see a doctor for it's important that you see a dietitian we're registered healthcare professionals and nobody who isn't a registered dietitian can call themselves a dietitian nutritionist isn't a protected title so anyone can decide one day that they're a nutritionist and go off and start telling people that all sorts of different things um, with no comeback on them so if I give terrible advice then people can come back later on and I'm responsible for that um, whereas nutritionists who are unregistered don't have any comeback on what they're telling people right no and that's a that's a very important distinction I think because actually I'm a civil engineer but I could suddenly start calling myself a nutritionist yeah absolutely plenty of people do just decide that that's what they yeah, want to do yeah. you know instagram <laughs> and social media is terrible for it and it's, it's a really scary uh, prospect i do lots of campaigning online to try and improve that world so um all of my handles are at sophie dietitian um on instagram and on uh, facebook and everywhere else and, and I, we, we do a lot of work both me individually and my company to try and improve the world of nutrition in terms of regulation okay that might be a, a, a topic for another show. So let's put that to one side sure. and, and uh, car- carry on with today's topic, which is uh, the menopause. Yes, absolutely. O- often on, on my show, the Relax Back UK show, uh, I talk about musculoskeletal issues, mm-hmm. not solely, but quite often. So perhaps we could start there. And so does the menopause affect 
women sort of musculoskeletally. Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to remember that oestrogen is really protective for women's bones. So oestrogen protects our bones from demineralization, so from calcium being leached from them into the bloodstream. And um, so following the menopause, making sure you get plenty of calcium in the diet is really important because osteoporosis postmenopausally is much, much more common. Okay, so I I remember this because my my mum had uh, osteoporosis and and so she shrank as a result. And, And she had other issues as well, actually. So it, I mean, it can be pretty nasty, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. Osteoporosis can be incredibly debilitating. Um, one of the issues that we have now is that lots of women are choosing not to have um, dairy in their diet. And actually, for every day that you don't get enough calcium in your diet, you leach a little bit of calcium in, from your bones into your bloodstream. And it's those minerals, the calcium in particular in your bones, that holds the structure together. So it's really important that you get plenty of calcium in the diet th- throughout your whole life, but particularly postmenopausally. Right. Okay. And but not everyone gets it. So how can you kind of know if you might be in line for this particular problem? So there's a number of of risk factors and part of that will be genetic. So some people will just be more predisposed to osteoporosis. However, um, when you're a younger person, so up until the age of about 30, your bones are a bit like sponges and they soak up as much as many minerals as they can. And then that's that's the process of mineralisation of the bones. So that improves their strength. Following that, it's downhill from there, really, unfortunately. So your bones then um, are more vulnerable through the rest of your life. Lots of women then um, maybe have multiple pregnancies. Maybe lots of women went through pregnancies um, during the war and things like that when actually uh, there was less food available and less um, good quality nutrition available. And when you have a baby in your tummy, it will leach any nutrients from your body that it needs for its body. And that can really uh, work detrimentally on the bones. Um, And then you go through menopause and then things can get worse again. So it's really important throughout your life, particularly as women, that we focus on bone health. Weight-bearing exercise is really helpful. Not being too underweight is very helpful. Um, But it's important that we we do focus on these things and we think about our bones regularly. Okay. And actually, we just put in a a thing about men as well. Men can get osteoporosis, I think, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Anyone can get osteoporosis. It's certainly not just a women's issue, but women are more predisposed to it. And actually, I remember at at a, a, a... it was at a conference. One of the um, one of the exhibition stands was doing a, a bone strength test. Mm. I can't remember exactly how they did it, but I had to put my wrist in this machine. Yeah. Um, and the result I got actually was only a couple of years ago. They said, "Well, Mike, you've got you have the bone strength of a 21 year old." Wow! There you go. Excellent news. So that's I've got a... to tell you, I'm not 21. <laughs> that's called a DEXA scan, and that's how we would test bone density um, in in health and in research and everything else. So is that something that people can go and get done if they're worried? I'm, th- I'm back on women now. <laughs> so um, if you are at risk of osteoporosis or your doctor's worried about it, then yes, you will have your bone health monitored by DEXA scan. Um, if it's something that you're worried about but your doctor's not worried about it, then you could potentially pay for that in private practice. But it's not something that's available for absolutely everybody in the NHS because it is quite an expensive undertaking. Is it? Okay. All right. So there's, there's osteoporosis to look out for. Mm-hmm. Any other sort of muscular skeletal issues that women might get during the the menopause i mean do your muscles waste away so not necessarily but what we do know is that women following the menopause are at higher risk of um, cardiovascular disease so again um, oestrogen protects us uh, as women from cardiovascular disease and following the menopause we're at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease in the same way that men are okay all right 
So that's that's well, that's that's a big deal. That's important to mm. look out for and be Absolutely, aware of. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and what can you do about that? I'd just be aware, I suppose. Yeah. So really crucially, uh, it's important to. Um, maintain a healthy diet so following a mediterranean style diet is really really helpful um, and that's a lot of the work that i do with women in my clinics is trying to get them onto a healthy eating pattern uh, for the rest of their life and to protect them from some of these these things but also to improve their symptoms of the menopause um, and then regular exercise really helpful important for your bones but also important for preventing cardiovascular disease okay what about any other symptoms i'm not sure symptoms is the right word actually because you know this is the menopause is not a disease, it's just a fact of something that happens, isn't it? So um, what other issues might crop up? So one of the things that women are, are less aware of is the symptoms around anxiety and loss of confidence, which can happen actually quite early on in the menopause. And lots of women who I speak to were really shocked that that happened to them and that they were experiencing that. And it's important to remember that lots of women going through the menopause are actually at a really crucial time in their life. They might be holding down an important job. They might also have a, a family at home still, teenage children or younger children. And they might also be looking after elderly relatives, looking after a husband, all sorts of things going on in their lives. And suddenly they're hit with this anxiety and with low mood and um, this real loss of confidence and that can really have a massive impact on their life. Lots of women feel they don't really want to go out anymore. They might be very anxious about things going on at work um, and that can be very debilitating. So improving awareness of that is really important and there are things you can do to improve that. So cognitive behavioural therapy can be really helpful for lots of women um, but also something about just being aware that it is just a symptom of the menopause and that it will pass and it will get better. I was asking my wife this morning about you know things I should bring up and questions mm -hmm. to ask, and the, the phrase she said, "This feeling now of no use." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what a all shame. those things you mentioned kind of describe her in some way. You know, we we've got younger children. You know, she's got a busy job. Yeah. Um, she does well. She. I'm in the family. I like to think she doesn't have to look after me, but, you know, I'm a factor as well. Sure. Um, so, yeah, no, all this stuff is very useful, which made me think, actually, men need to know about this stuff as well because they've got to get involved. Absolutely, definitely. And I think, you know, when you think about the other symptoms as well, so hot flushes, which if they, you know, if you're with your wife or you're with your partner, or even if you're with a woman in the workplace and you notice that she's having this sort of symptom, don't draw attention to it. Don't, you know, make a big deal out of it and just try to maybe detract attention from it until it passes because drawing attention to it, making, you know, women are sort of made to feel like they're crazy hormonal women, you know, when we're younger, when we've got our periods, but also, you know, later in life and that's not how we want to feel you know you should feel empowered you should continue to have the level of dignity that you would want to have in the workplace and that can be very difficult for women so if you're with your partner and she's experiencing something like that maybe make an excuse for her to pop out the room or do something that makes her feel comfortable or at least chat to her about how she would like you to manage that situation if you are with her um sleepless nights is also a big one um yeah. so having a bit more um maybe being a bit more supportive if you can around um, sleep and understanding that your partner or your or your colleagues might be more tired than usual is important. Certainly, we were talking, we spoke about hot flushes as well, actually. Mm -hmm. One thing she mentioned, she said, when they first start, she said it felt like some, thought she was having a heart attack or some kind mm -hmm. of massive anxiety attack. Um, and she said that people don't really necessarily prepare women for some of these things yeah absolutely and when it first happened you know like she was scared 
Yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? And I think um, this is where it's so important that we talk about it. And, and some women will not have a bad experience at all and they'll go through it quite easily. But some women, you know, have really profound symptoms that really affect them and it can affect you for, you know, four years or more. And so it's really important that we talk about it. One of the things that can help is their CBT, so cognitive behavioural therapy. And that, as you can imagine, you know, if you feel stressed and you get very anxious and you build up that stress, you can feel hotter, you can feel more stressed. And that can be what happens for some women with a hot flush. So they might suddenly start feeling some of these symptoms and then get very anxious about it and then get very embarrassed about it, which perpetuates the symptoms. Whereas if you can try and talk yourself through that in a calm way, do some mindfulness um, training and things like that, that can really help you to control it. If you think you're having a heart attack, the chances of you being able to cool yourself down are pretty slim. Mm, yeah. And what? So everyone talks about hot flushes. I mean, what causes them? And is there any? What's the point of them? Or is it just one of those things? The design of the human body isn't quite as good as it could be, or what? <laughs> yeah, it's just the huge hormonal fluctuations that happen during that time. So there's a big uh, change in our hormonal, you know, balance in the body, and that has a big impact on our on our body temperature and all sorts of other things. Okay, so it's, it's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just part of it, unfortunately. All right. The, the other thing uh, my wife said, she said, why do I put weight on? She says, I had to write this down, actually, because it was her phrase was, she said, Look, I'm not a polar bear preparing for winter. Why? <laughs> why do I put weight on in places where I just haven't before? Yeah, great question. So what happens through the menopause is that you, you have a drop in oestrogen and the oestrogen content of our body as women is what helps us to distribute our fat on our lower half usually or on our upper body, whereas men almost always carry their weight more centrally. So that's why you rarely see women with um, a beer gut. beer belly, exactly. But that's the typical presentation of men who are overweight. And so as we go through the menopause, women then have a redistribution of their body fat and they will carry weight more centrally again some of the work that I do in my clinic is to help women to prevent that from happening and to improve their overall health and and the reason that you um, are increased risk of cardiovascular disease after the menopause is because you then carry weight more centrally like a man Um, so it's important that we're aware of those risks Okay, and what can you do about that? You say you help people in your in your yeah. Clinic. So a healthy, balanced diet, being aware of the risks, and also thinking about regular exercise that makes you happy. Okay, so a lot a lot of this is exercise based, isn't it? Diet and exercise, yeah. Healthy eating, being careful with things like alcohol and that sort of thing. But yeah, just general good quality healthy eating advice. Prioritizing your health as a woman a woman around that time and making sure that you're looking after yourself as best you can. Okay. Right, we, we've touched on a few, of, I suppose, what you could call negative points. What about some plus points for the menopause? Well, lots of women following the menopause feel much more confident in themselves. So around half of women felt more confident. The research from Femel suggests that about 50% of women feel more confident following the menopause, which is great news. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I think that's part of feeling more empowered, uh, feeling less tied down by having menstrual cycles and things like that, and just feeling like you're in a better better time in your life where you have more time for yourself, maybe. Okay. Anything else? Um, so what have I have I said... Have I mentioned the research? Did we talk at the beginning about 67% of women don't know what to uh, No, I didn't ask you about that. Okay. So, yeah, do mention that. So what we've learned from the current research, which was conducted by a company called Femal, is that 67% of women didn't know what to expect uh, leading up to the menopause and following the, and what they were going to experience during the menopause. So it's so important that we talk about these things and that we empower women to be able to have these conversations and that women don't feel embarrassed by, by what's going on in their bodies. 
actually that's another thing my wife said she says that at school when you you, you know you have your education about the menstrual cycle and sex mm-hmm. education and all the rest of it the menopause just wasn't mentioned. Yeah, and there's no kind of touch point for that to be mentioned. I think if you've got a good GP, they might mention it, but it's not necessarily something that will come up naturally. So unless you're seeing your GP for other things, you probably won't have a chat about it. So it's important that we um, you know, promote those things as public health messages and that women are aware of some of the things that go on. Right, which I suppose comes on to the, the, the question, if people want to find out more about this, you know, how it might affect them, what to do about it, etc., uh, is there a, a a good website? Where can you point people? Yeah, absolutely. So there's some great information on the website formal.co.uk. Um, they've got some brilliant resources for women, and it's a really empowering um, resource for women What's that to site use. Called again? I didn't. I didn't catch it. It's called formal.co.uk. How do you spell that? F E M A L. Okay. There's also some great information on the British Nutrition Foundation website and they've got some really good resources on alternative treatments that you might want to consider and the research that's behind them. And then, of course, there's the NHS website, which is always useful. All right. And you help people on an individual basis as well? I do, yeah. I do individual consultations um, and all sorts of different things like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Sophie, thank you very much indeed for chatting about this. I I, I think, well, it's going to help half the population <laughs> and uh, in, in, in my experience if, if I can help my well my wife uh, it helps me as well so actually probably well over half the population Absolutely. Will help. sounds like you're a good team Mike <laughs> thank you very much indeed and thank thanks you, very much nice to speak cheers, to you cheers bye 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 listening to UK Health Radio and please do have a look at the huge range of other topics other interesting things you can hear about that's available on UK Health Radio you can look on the website to just to see the complete list of what's on offer do give them a listen once you've uh, finished listening to the Relax Back UK show with me Mike Dilk also please do remember if you have back pain or you're worried about your posture or you just want to be a little bit more efficient in the office you can try out a backup chair which will work very nicely um, and you can do this for absolutely free if you're in the UK just go to my website relaxbackuk.com then click on the try out a backup chair offer click on the button Fill in your details and uh, I will contact you and can arrange that for you. That's if you are in the UK. But please do, do please do, do it. That is a genuine offer. And many people have found that extremely useful. They've tried out the chair for a few days to see if it works for them. Now, shortly, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Mark Verrill about a, a new cancer treatment for breast cancer, which has just been okayed by nice. Let's back UK. Run by my daddy. In the UK, around 55,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer each year, and 30% of women with earlier stages of breast cancer will develop an advanced disease. And 85% of women diagnosed with 
metastatic breast cancer where the cancer is spread beyond the breast, locally advanced or metastatic breast cancer will not live longer than five years. So that's, that's I guess, some of the, the bad news or the situation at the, at the minute. And recently, a new combination of drugs has been okayed by NICE. And NICE is the National Institute for Health and Care Excellent. And this excellence, this, this treatment is a, it's a combination treatment, and that's going to be available on the NHS with immediate effect, providing approximately 5,300 patients a year in England and Wales with a new option for advanced breast cancer. And I spoke with I spoke with uh, Dr. Mark Verrill, and he's head of the Department of Medical Oncology at the Northern Centre for Cancer Care at the Freeman Free, Freeman Hospital. And I asked if the the drugs in the combo both worked in a similar way, or whether they did different things. They work in different ways. So for estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. Most of our efforts are targeting the estrogen receptor. So normal breast cells have estrogen receptors on them. Most breast cancers have estrogen receptors on them. And we know that breast cancer is driven by estrogen. And so with drugs like tamoxifen, we, we block the receptor. Tamoxifen sticks to it. With drugs like letrozole in postmenopausal women, we can drop estrogen levels to a very low levels so that the estrogen that's feeding the tumour isn't there. But we know that the cancers can get around this by using other pathways. So it's like you've got one road blocked and you're trying to get somewhere, you find another road. So what ribocyclib is doing is blocking another very important pathway that's associated with estrogen receptor positive cancer. And by doing that, when we add in the CDK4-6 inhibitor to the standard um, estrogen type treatments, we are controlling disease for almost twice as long on average as we would if we were giving the anti-estrogen drug on its own. Okay, so doing, by doing, using this method, you, you use the same amounts of both drugs, but just use them together. You don't have to have smaller amounts of each drug. Is that right? Yeah. Ribocyclib is always given um, in combination with another anti-estrogen and we use the standard dose of the anti-estrogen drug. Okay, so this, this, this type of method, what does it actually, what does it gain for the patient? What it gains is compared to giving fulvastrant on its own, we, when we're testing drugs, we look at how long it controls the disease for mm -hmm. and on average the addition of ribocyclib is controlling the disease for almost twice as long as we would if we were giving fulvastrant on its own so that can be quite a long time and depending on the on the circumstances of the the women that we're treating we are seeing m many months sometimes years of extra disease control um, by adding in these drugs. Now, we never quite know when we see a new patient how long the drugs are gonna work for. But for instance, I've got, got a woman who was in one of the, in, well, in the trial that led to this approval, who's actually been on treatment for three years uh, when we wouldn't have expected to control a disease for that long on average without the new drug in the mix. Right, okay. Well, so this is definitely worth having. You know, this, this is significant, yeah. isn't it? Okay, so, yeah. but, 
there are different types of breast cancer. So does this approach work for all of them or is it more specific for particular types it, of cancer? It is specific. So that the two things that we look at are um, estrogen receptors, which drive us down and targeting estrogen pathway. We also look at something called HER2, and we know that HER2 dominates the picture when it's there. And so the HER2 positive patients aren't eligible for this treatment. And then there's a type of breast cancer called triple negative that doesn't have estrogen receptors, doesn't have another receptor called progesterone, and doesn't have HER2. And these drugs have not been tested and are not necessarily expected to work in triple negative and they certainly aren't available okay so it's a this is probably an impossible question but as a percentage of breast cancer patients how many might this help or is that unfair question? oh yeah overall <laughs> it's probably um in the metastatic space it's probably going to be around two-thirds okay so it's all right. the so it's a good type of breast cancer and therefore it's really important to have new drugs that are changing the outlook of that group of patients yeah and are, are these patients are they are they do they do these tend to be women that are, are, are after the menopause or because there's a difference in the sort of sort of cancer there as well isn't there they they were first tested in women after the menopause but the bottom line is that it's not that hard to switch off the ovaries and make women postmenopausal. so we can either do that with drugs or physically taking the ovaries out so even if a premenopausal women uh, woman comes to the clinic and we want to use these drugs we know that the most effective way of doing it is by making them postmenopausal and then going ahead okay. and giving the drugs and there's specific trial data looking at that yeah all right so the next question is a bit odd but i i have heard of cases of men getting breast cancer yeah that's true is this likely to be useful to you know, th th those rare cases? We tend to use the data from women with breast cancer to form our um, treatment plans for men with breast cancer. And I've certainly got um, a couple of men who are on CDK4-6 inhibitor treatment. So yes, um, we, they're not excluded from the studies. The problem is that there are so few men with breast cancer. So there are a few hundred men with breast cancer diagnosed each year in the UK compared to 50,000 women, there aren't really enough to do definitive clinical trials looking at just at men. So they're grouped in with the women on the basis that while the, the, the men have got an X chromosome, the genetics of the tumor and the biology of the tumor is the same. And all of the evidence that we have suggests that men with the various different types of breast to respond in the same way as women to the treatments that we use um this this treatment it, it it's sort of a a life prolonger isn't it it, it sort of yeah. keeps keeps cancer at bay is that generally where research is going you know to provide patients a good life with cancer for longer rather than getting rid of it and treating cancer. Is that, is that kind of more the way ahead? And that's kind of a cancer in general question, probably. I think what, what we're doing, it, it, there are two strands, really. So for people who've got recurrent cancer, they've got metastatic disease, we don't expect to cure them. We have some people who are very, very long-term survivors. But at that consultation, when you're sitting down with a woman who's got 
breast cancer that's come back in various different organs, we're talking about controlling the disease and controlling it for as long as possible. And we know that ribocyclib and drugs like ribocyclib can do that. And we're beginning to see very solid survival data on that. Where the drugs then move, so once we've shown that they help women with metastatic disease, we use them in early breast cancer, so breast cancer that's confined to the breast itself and the lymph nodes under the arm, and the drugs go into the mix in, in our attempts to try and cure those women with breast cancer. The majority of women and men with breast cancer now who present with just a lump in the breast and involvement of the lymph nodes under the arm. The majority of those are actually cured. Mm. And we think, and we are currently testing to see whether we can show that these drugs will increase the cure rate of early breast cancer. So they, women never get to the stage of needing treatment for metastatic disease where we're just trying to contain it. Sure, sure. So, th- so this is effectively, this is good news for, for cancer. Yeah, this is really good news. Yeah. And it's... Um, it's going to be a, a treatment that is used for a, a lot of women. And my expectation is that the uptake of this treatment will be very rapid. And within a few months, we'll have a lot of people receiving this drug treatment combination. Okay. And so if people are listening to this and thinking, right, this is interesting. I'd like to find out more because either myself or a loved one is suffering uh, from, from breast cancer. How, how can um, patients or, or just members of the public find out a bit more about what we're, we're talking about? So um, if you're a patient with metastatic breast cancer, then I think your first port of call should be your oncologist or your breast care nurse. Um, clearly, they know about your history and can tell you whether this is relevant for you. For more general information, there's a lot out there on the web. The Cancer Research UK website has got very clear and very um, precise information. And then a number of uh, charities have uh, information sites, or if you live near a Maggie Centre, you can go into your local Maggie Centre and talk to a healthcare professional about your disease, your circumstances. You don't need an appointment and your carers can go in too. So that, those Maggie Centres are a really valuable resource. Excellent, all right. Uh, Dr. Vera, I know you're an extremely busy guy, so thank you very much indeed for chatting. I think that's probably very useful and certainly very interesting for a lot of people. Okay, thank you very much. That's back UK. Run by my daddy. We, we do have time for just a little bit more Kate Bush before the end of the show. So here goes, a little more music from Kate.
very much to my guests on this week's show, and they were consultant dietitian Sophie Medlin, and she was talking about the menopause. And also, thank you very much to Dr. Mark Verrill, talking about a new cancer treatment. And of course, also thank you to you for listening. That was Mike Dilk of Relax Back UK. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time. Uh-huh.